Hello, welcome to Pause, Stop and Think. On today's show, a non-binary gender English teacher whose lesson today is Fix Your Language. I'm here with Maddie Lubert of Kensington Health Science Academy, a English teacher, and there are many causes at our school that Maddie is a huge supporter and driving force behind. One of the topics that we'd like to discuss today is non-binary gender identification uh, among students and among adults outside the school community. So first to clarify our discussion, what does the term non-binary gender identification mean? So it's this, the English teacher in me loves this moment because it's a, it's a moment we can look at like word parts. So yeah, I, I usually talk about how binary, right? You know, that means there are two extremes. Um, and we know that because of the prefix bi, like a bicycle has two wheels. So binary in this sense means boy or girl, man or woman. So anyone who calls themselves non-binary is saying something about how those labels don't work for them. So for me, it just means, you know, I've never identified as a man. There was a lot of ways I was assigned female at birth. There was a lot of ways that the way I was growing up being raised as a girl and young woman didn't feel right either. So for me, it's it's just a label that is for me. Um, it's It's not saying that there's a particular route I hope to follow. It's more of just you know, neither of these boxes were that comfortable for me ever. So I'm going to put myself in this other box and just kind of do my thing. Great. And that's an interesting point. Was there a point in your life where you felt this is the, the right path for you? Like what, at what point in your life did you make this decision that this is, this is who mm-hmm. I want to be identified as or how I want to be identified Yeah, I think like with most people, it's a very long process. And for me, it definitely took me time to understand my identity and to like, come up with the terms that I wanted to use to describe it. So I actually didn't start identifying as non-binary until like three years ago, I believe. So up to that point, I was actually known sometimes at KHSA as Miss Lubert. But you know, in my own process and in my own way of like learning more about the world as well as myself, I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know what, this does feel worth trying out. It feels worth trying on. So that's when I decided to, you know, come out. So it was actually my second coming out. Um, The first was me coming out as queer or gay when I was in high school. And then, you know, this second level where I, I was trying to identify myself in a way that felt right. And the thing, you know, the thing about gender identity for a lot of people, not for everybody, is that it can actually, you know, be a flexible thing for us. There could be points in our lives where we feel really comfortable with one identity, but there may be a point where later you're not sure. And non-binary is good because it's not trying to say one thing that I am. It's more of just, I don't want to fit into one category. I just kind of, you know, the rules that are written for men and women aren't rules that I like to follow in the same way, which is kind of what pushed me towards identifying outwardly as non-binary and kind of changing the language that I used to talk about myself. That's interesting because I find that both those steps, like using the term coming out, 
takes a lot of strength because obviously you have a strong family within the school district itself, but you also have a, you, but you also have a strong fa- family bond and a strong school family. To someone who is struggling with that, how can they find that strength? Like, was there something you were able to turn to, or was there just a time in your life that you felt, hey, this is what I got to do? But how would you help somebody who is struggling with that? I would always recommend to pretty much anybody, but especially LGBT people who are going through this identity discovery process, you know, sometimes going to a counselor or a therapist can be really, really helpful. And that's a scary step because obviously you have to, you know, let somebody in to a lot of different stuff, right? We, in, if you do therapy, there could be a lot of different ways that you talk about yourself in your life. But I think sometimes that opportunity to have a neutral person that you're talking to who doesn't have any preconceived notions and to have a space where you get to talk through what you're thinking and how you're feeling, that can be really helpful for people, especially if they aren't receiving that support elsewhere. But the other most important thing for me is is friends and family, right? And we talked about like family that we're born with. And of course, for me, I've been really lucky that the family I was born with has been really great and has learned a lot over the years and done a lot to support me. But in the queer community, especially, and for many people, chosen family is the thing that, you know, gives them the support they need or pushes them towards living authentically. And I think some of us aren't born into families that fit us that well. And some of us learn how to kind of deal with that, but there are other people who don't. And I think this is something many different adults, many different adults are learning about, but you find your people, right? You kind of, you know, through your social life and through your professional life, you find the people that are on the same path that you are. So that was actually for me really important was just making friends with other queer people around my age and people who identified differently so that I could kind of see what was working for other people and how their experience of gender was either similar or different from mine. Because when I was growing up and into my adulthood, I had never even known what non-binary meant. It hasn't been very common until now. So, you know, there were definitely a couple of my friends who decided to use different pronouns before I did. And that got me thinking, you know, and it, it was people that I had known before with, you know, maybe different names or different pronouns, but they were the same person just kind of fixing the language that we used to talk about them. And that was really helpful for me was just knowing I wouldn't be the only one doing that. And that, you know, even if there were people in my life who didn't understand, there were other people who could be there as kind of a chosen family support system. So even though, again, I'm, I'm so lucky that in my personal life, my friends and family have generally done their best to support me, uh, it can really mean a lot to have a friend or an acquaintance or anything, someone who knows what you're going through because they've experienced it too. And I think, you know, even sometimes our parents or our siblings have the very best intentions, but they just don't know what we are seeing or feeling. And other queer people, even though, of course, their experience is theirs, they might have more that they can relate to you on. That kind of model or roadmap from somebody else can be very helpful. So I think trying to understand yourself better, and sometimes people use something like therapy for that, and trying to connect yourself to a community that can understand you and lift you up uh, when you need it. That's been really important to me. 
Great, great answer. I think I, I think that would be helpful to a, a lot of people because several phrases that you used in there, like chosen family, I think is is big in the in, in the world today, especially for for young people. Yeah. Whereas parents are so involved in their own particular lives and work and whatever's going on outside the family, sometimes the chosen family are the people that you are closest with and comfortable with. And having that support is very important. This is a phrase that you use in other causes, like we, when we talk about anti-racist discrimination as well, you use the term fix your language, which sounds very English teacher, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's very strong. And can you kind of elaborate a little on, your, on that fix your language quote? Because I think it's a great quote. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, I like to, I am an English teacher, so I love words and I love thinking about words and I always have. So something I try really hard to do, especially as a teacher or as like someone who can step up as a leader in our school, I'm always trying to just be careful about how I'm speaking because I don't want my words to be making judgments or assumptions on behalf of me for other people. And that might sound kind of odd, but I think in our world, and our world is very binary, it has very many black and white, yes or no, you know, this or that kind of categories. It can feel really scary to, uh, to try to communicate in a world like that, because even if you're trying to communicate the right way, you might make a mistake. Um, and of course, we all make mistakes as humans. So I think for me, with thinking about the language is important because our language can really show other people how we're thinking and how we're feeling. But it also is honoring the fact that anyone who's learning something new is, you know, learning something new, right? They're now seeing maybe a little bit differently. They're looking at the world a little bit differently. And when our view changes, our language has to change too, because the same old way we've talked about stuff might not be good enough anymore. So that's one reason why I like to talk about language like that is because I think it helps folks who want to learn more, but maybe feel afraid of messing up or afraid of hurting or offending somebody. Focusing on language can help a lot because that's something that all of us can control pretty easily, even though we take it for granted most of the time. I think the other reason I like to use a phrase like that or talk that way is because a lot of us are used to using language like when did you become transgender or, you know, back when you were a girl or, you know, kind of these different things. And the, you know, the thing about coming out for any identity, I think, is you're not saying I'm a brand new person. You're saying I'm the exact same person you've always known and loved, but I just want you to see me in a different way. I want you to see me the way I see me in the spirit of not wanting to have these binaries that are yes or no, black or white. It's a, it's an invitation for someone to know you better and to support you. So it, it's weird to think about in that way because language is odd and it's always changing and a lot of people get frustrated by that because it can feel like it's hard to keep up. And especially now when language can change so quickly with like the internet and just all the interconnectedness that we have. But I think it's important for us to try our best to honor people's truths and identities with our language, which means, you know, we're not, we're not trying to say the quick and easy way, like, oh, you became transgender, or, oh, you did this or that. You know, when I decided to start identifying as mixed Lubert, nothing really had changed about me. I was the same person and 
my teaching was the same and all these things, but it was just, you know, it, it's almost like buying an outfit that fits you well. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, you know, it's like when you get that new outfit and you're just like, wow, I really like how this fits. And I want, I want other people to see how I look in it because it, it fits me so well. For me, that's what the language piece is because a person when they're coming out, isn't necessarily saying I'm a new person. They, they're saying, you know, I'm the same person, but I'm just fixing my language, kind of. I'm fixing the way that we talk about me and that the way I reflect to others. Awesome. This may be along the same lines. Um, one of the key identifiers we use at KHSA is pronouns, speaking of English. Your pronouns are they, them, theirs. What can you tell people about using just these pronouns when identifying you to converse or in a conversation? In other words... When other people may use she or her in a mutual reference, how does that make you feel and how can we correct that? The way I try to explain, I guess people use the term misgendering, right? So if if someone uses they, them, but someone refers to them as she, her, you know, that would be misgendering, right? You're You're kind of placing a gender label that they didn't place on themselves. And I think it can be really hard to describe why that matters or how it matters because most people fit into the categories that they're placed in at birth, right? Most people are like, yeah, that's fine. I am a girl or yeah, that's fine. I am a boy. But, you know, of course, there is a small but important population of people who don't fit that way. And, you know, for me, when I hear the wrong pronouns, it's kind of like when someone says your name wrong or kind of like when they spell it wrong and you know, you feel frustrated because they should have known how to spell it, or it's like the fifth week of school and you still don't get your name right. The teachers are still mispronouncing it or something. I think everyone can relate to that feeling on some level where when you're not being called your name properly, it is almost like someone is saying, I don't see you, or I don't want to see you, which of course isn't always true, right? Many of us are making honest mistakes when we're trying to readjust the way we talk about people. But when those little moments can pop pile up, it can be really difficult for somebody. And it can feel like if you're having a hard time and people aren't, you know, honoring your identity and they aren't using the pronouns you want to use, it can feel really disheartening. And it could kind of feel like, well, what's the point of me trying to like live with this identity if it's going to be this like big problem all the time, right? And it, and it almost starts to feel like you're causing a problem because it is a counterintuitive thing. In general, we don't consciously use they or them as a singular pronoun very much. We do use it all the time. We just don't really pay attention to it. And it's been a part of the English language for a long time too. I'm aware and most queer people and non-binary people and trans people are aware that most people have to shift their way of thinking in order to change their language. So of course there's wiggle room, right? Like people are allowed to make mistakes and people handle those mistakes differently. But you know, the same way that after a couple of weeks, if someone still doesn't know your name or still doesn't say it right, and that feels disrespectful, it's, it's very similar to how getting misgendered feels, at least from my perspective. I, I can't speak for everybody, but in trying to make that idea understandable to people I know who are cisgender or whose identity match the identity that were, they were given at birth, that's a way I try to relate it because I think that's something that most of us have been through in some form. So it's really, it, it's about whether or not we feel respected and seen by the people around us. That's important. And that's, it's important to be seen and be heard the, the right way. I think that's a really good point. And again, it kind of goes back to your fix your language quote. I'll be honest, uh, I'm new to using this reference. How does one person like yourself in a small community like 
KHSA or even the community that you're that you're living, spread awareness about non-binary gender identification to other communities? How do you get the word out there? So for me, one of the reasons I decided to come out and change the language I used to talk about myself is because I know as a teacher that young people are paying attention to me, whether or not they want to. You know, every day I'm one of these adults that our kids are forced to interact with. And one of the things for me that probably made my process of knowing myself take longer was that I never knew any adults that were trans or some other type of gender non-conforming. I never knew any adults when I was growing up who had those identities. And same way that a lot of kids want to be the job that they see a beloved family member or someone doing, like it's, it's almost the same thing where if you've never seen someone identify in a particular way, you might not even think that exists, right? So for me, it's really important that all of our students can see and get to know and decide whether or not they like this non-binary person who happens to be at their school, right? And that's that happens to be me in this case. And I think I'm comfortable with talking to students about how I identify and why, and I'm comfortable talking to my colleagues about it. And there are lots and lots of queer people who don't want to walk around and explain themselves all the time. I've kind of taken on that responsibility for myself, partially because I have been pretty lucky and I've had a lot of opportunities in my life to be supported and to like be able to pursue the work and the the activism that I've wanted to pursue. So as a way of kind of acknowledging that privilege and acknowledging the fact that like, you know, as a white person, I'm not dealing with racism. My parents were able to be very supportive of me financially all throughout my childhood into my adulthood. Those things have made my life much easier in our society. So for me, it feels important to take that energy that I'm not spending trying to survive in those ways and use that in a way that shows other people what the possibilities are. And that became like really important to me too when I was in my graduate school program and I was taking a psychology class about adolescent development, just kind of thinking about the way teenagers brains and selves are forming. And that really struck me that I started to understand in a new way that not only does it feel good to see an adult who can be a role model, but it can literally change the course of how you see yourself and how you identify yourself usually for the better. If you see these different ways of identifying or these different ways of living, you're being exposed to all these different possibilities. And it's the same reason why when we have career day, we want as many diverse positions represented as possible because we want our kids to know that there is so much out there. And just because it's not something you've done or felt or said before doesn't mean it's not possible. So for me, just kind of being who I am in a pretty uh, front way is my biggest way of trying to spread awareness. And I think too, with uh, as far as like allies or some people like the term co-conspirators, those are people who can do a lot as well because they aren't the ones using a lot of energy to explain themselves every day. So something that I rely on a lot is if someone misgenders me, I'm not always the one to correct them, but sometimes it feels really helpful if one of my friends or colleagues does that for me. 
because again, like it can feel hard to correct somebody to their face or it can, it can feel like you're inconveniencing them. And I don't always want to do that, but somebody who's a friend of mine that knows me and understands my identity, they can say, you know what? I got this, right? I, I got this for you. You can sit this one out. And I think the other thing too, is just like talking about the people, you know, because obviously, you know, not every kid will have a teacher that's non-binary or a teacher that's trans, but if other adults are open and comfortable talking about the people in their lives, that can be a very similar process where like, even if you don't know that person, if my sister is in her classroom talking to her students about her sibling who's non-binary, she's able to kind of spread that awareness in her domain as well, even though it's not her experience. So I always tell people to use me as an example if they want, <laughs> because, you know, it is, it is a choice I've made to be like pretty vocal about different issues. So instead of putting someone on the spot who doesn't want to be on like, you know what, I already blew up my spot a while ago. So we might as well <laughs> just shine the light. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's, it's the fact that you're willing to put yourself ahead of the fight to, and to, to be the example. I, you know, it's, it's always good to have someone on your side and for people to at least rely on yourself. And like you say, outside yourself, there's family and friends and your world of supporters, which is, is definitely important. So you're currently spearheading many projects, as we said, at our school, anti-racial discrimination, um, LBGTQ awareness are uh, two that obviously mean a lot to you. Discrimination against any people is, is wrong, as we all can agree. But the key word is awareness. Most discrimination happens without awareness. What do you say to people say, oh, I, I have a friend who's black or non-gender, so I must be aware. How do you respond to something like that? Yeah, I think that's a really natural um, response that many people have, especially if we feel like someone is saying, you know, you don't care enough, or you're not doing the right thing, or you're hurting somebody, right? None of us feel good when we get accused of doing something wrong. So I think it's very natural for people to say, well, I can't be racist, you know, because I have, you know, a teacher might even say, I can't be racist, I have black students or can't be homophobic because my cousin is gay or whatever. And that's like a really natural thing. And awareness is very important in that way. Like knowing somebody can be very powerful, but like with any tool or piece of equipment or whatever, if you don't use it, if you don't do work with it, it's not really doing much. So it's very easy for us to have friends, family, whoever that are diverse, right? And, you know, lots of people don't have diverse friend groups or diverse families or diverse you know communities even right Philadelphia is a very segregated city so it's natural for people who have those connections to want to use them as proof it's not enough to just know something it requires you to learn more and push yourself more for example uh, someone who's a friend of mine right might be like well I, I can't be homophobic or transphobic because I know mixed luber or whatever but you know you could know me and still use somebody's pronouns improperly or still kind of hold on to some idea that is homophobic or something and that's because like we all are in this world where binary identities and prejudice and segregation along racial and gendered lines is really normal. So it's something we're all born into and it's something we're all taught from moment one on planet Earth. 
the way our society operates right now, we categorize ourselves and we sort ourselves based on those categories. And like a lot of things that we learn, especially things that we learn as rules growing up, it can feel really uncertain if that rule gets broken or if somebody says, actually, that rule isn't real, right? So again, you know, if someone thinks, well, I've already done one thing, you know, I've already made friends with somebody and supported them personally, I can't be doing anything else wrong. Something that I always just try to think about is what can I be doing better? You know, how can I learn more or how can I support more? So I think for me, I really respect people who do their own research, for example, right? Like if somebody has a question about my identity. They might ask me, but there's probably other people who would go and do some finding on their own, like either on the internet or they might read a book by somebody who's transgender or non-binary. And to me, like that shows like, okay, you're trying to not just be friends with me or support me as a family member, you're trying to understand what this means so that you can you can use that understanding in the world. So yeah, we all you know, we all know somebody who is XYZ category, but it doesn't mean we understand what that means for them. And it doesn't mean that we are trying to help them navigate the world. It could just mean I know that person with a lot of things in relationships, you have to really show and consistently show that you're supporting, right? To be anti-racist or anti-homophobic, it's an active thing. It's not something you can sit and wait to happen. It's something that you have to start doing. Um, so for me, that's kind of the difference. That's more doing than just checking all the boxes. Exactly, uh, yeah. Um, and speaking of checking all the boxes, that kind of leads to my, my next question. Recently, you were interviewed in a Kensington paper about name changing and non-gender identification awareness. How is that progressing? And how can we as a school show support? Yeah, so as of right now, I don't know if anything has really changed at the school district. Kind of complaint was that staff members like teachers or paraprofessionals, anyone at all who works for the school district, have not been allowed to change the way their name appears on records unless they are legally changing their name. So like if you get married or you know, if you go for it and you change your name for whatever reason, if you go through that legal process, you can do it. But for many queer people and for many people in general, that legal process can be a big burden. It can cost money and it can require just work to get it done. Whereas if I am more comfortable with the name Maddie than like, you know, my full government name, it's very easy for me to just use that name, right? So for me, that's very frustrating because on my, my Google account that pops up and, you know, my email and on Meet and on my ID and on and on and on, all of that has my like full name. And on one hand, that's frustrating as a non-binary person because that's not the name I've ever really used to identify myself, especially as I've openly identified as non-binary. And a lot of people are really uncomfortable with their given names because names can be so gendered and we can make assumptions about somebody's gender based on their name. So that is why like names can be such a big deal to queer people, especially, but I think any of us, like anyone who has a name that isn't official has dealt with this in some way. So, you know, as of now, I don't know if I can actually change anything as far as my name on my ID or my name on my email account. The school district told the paper that that would be changing, but they didn't give any details. 
and I haven't been told about any changes and I haven't found out about any changes in any other way. So for me right now, the kind of the next step is just, okay, this question has now been asked and this answer has been given and people know about it, right? Knowledge is important. It's reported in the news. But now, you know, when the news isn't watching or when, you know, a reporter isn't calling you up to say, what are you doing next? What is happening, right? And and how are you acting when someone isn't watching you? You know, and unfortunately, in a district as big as ours and in a district that's dealing with so many issues, it can be really hard to solve all these problems and it can be really hard to support people across the board. But it would be easier if they let some of us do that work with them, right? There are a lot of people in our school district who do a lot of work on their own time and for free that the school district could be paying us for, right? If it's about talking to our colleagues about a policy or doing anti-racism training or all of these things that the district says they support, teachers are doing this work and other educators are doing this work, but you know, they're not, they're not asking us for help. They're not asking, okay, what do we need to change? Or they're not reaching out to the community to share that responsibility. And that's the big challenge for me. So, you know, I don't know of anything actually being different yet. I'm going to keep making noise about it because that's obviously what I do. But, you know, I, I feel really lucky. Again, I've talked about like how my family has been supportive and other kind of realms of privilege. I'm also really lucky to work at KHSA. You know, I know other teachers and staff members in the district who even want to unofficially change their name, right, to change the way they're addressed and work the way I did. And even that can feel really scary and hard because if you don't work in a community that's open and supportive, you know, you won't feel comfortable saying, hey, this is actually who I am and I trust you to respect that. So, you know, we're really lucky to have Dr. Aaron as a leader. Um, We're really lucky to have the teachers that we have on our staff. And honestly, the students have been, you know, some of my best supporters of all. Um, The current 11th graders are kind of down in the record books as some of my favorite advocates because I was out of the classroom for about a week because I traveled to Italy with an exchange group of KHSA students. But there was a guest teacher for that time when I wasn't there. And when I came back to, to school, I was like, oh, hey guys, like, how was it? How was the teacher? And everyone was like, oh, the teacher sucked. And I was like, yeah, that's what you all say, like, whatever. But they were like, no, really, like the teacher sucked. They wouldn't address you the right way. And we disagreed with her about that. So, you know, it was this moment where I was just really blown away by the fact that my students who are young people and who don't have power as much in a classroom, for example, they felt comfortable and brave enough and, you know, justified in saying, actually, no, this adult's doing the wrong thing. And I know that because this is how we do things at KHSA. So really it's, it's every part of the school community works together And we're not perfect, of course, but we work so hard and so openly towards creating a place that's safe and affirming for everyone that I know that people have my back, whether it's a colleague or a student or my boss. And that's something that is unfortunately kind of rare because again, the same way some people's families that they're born into aren't necessarily receptive to thinking about identity in a different way. Just a lot of people in general aren't receptive to that or aren't used to that conversation. So, you know, again, I feel really lucky where we are and I think our school has done amazing work around it. But, you know, then then the question is how can we then hold 
hold the school district accountable to that? Or how can we hold, you know, leaders across our school district accountable to that to support their employees and their students? So, you know, it's going to be a process and it's going to probably take some more attention grabbing um, from me and from other advocates and parents and students. But the fact that there even is an article written about the fact that we can't change our names, like that's a huge step. Um, And the fact that there are teachers who can like talk to each other about what it means to use a different title, right? So, you know, for me, that's been a huge improvement is just finding community in different ways and finding support. But it's going to take a lot of work to hold the people at the top accountable to that. That's a very good point. And you're right. I have to agree with you. We are very supported very well by the administration at our school. And it's not so much about the job we do, but the consideration that they have for how you feel. It just when we when when we go into meetings, uh, it's amazing that everyone has voice and how they're feeling. That one to ten temperature check for everyone that's in that meeting is is super important to, to the administration. So it's it's a rare breed to have that in in a workplace in any workplace. You know, knowing yeah. that you have the full support of your leaders and your administration and uh, Dr. Aaron and Mr. Mercado are really important people in, uh, in, in that community too and very supportive. So finally, um, this past week, uh, Nico Tortorella, a non-binary gender actor, was interviewed about playing the first non-binary character on a major TV show. For those that do not know uh, Nico, they starred in the TV show Younger, and, and they are also currently starring on Walking Dead, The World Beyond. Currently, they are working as a non-binary character in a TV show on Netflix that is yet to air but they are also trying to make non-binary gender identification a national awareness. And they feel by playing that character, they can be the person like yourself in the front lines and taking that spot. What are your thoughts on that? I always get very excited to hear about representation and LGBTQ representation. I'm gonna sound like an old person like talking about back in my day, but you know, I'm not that old and my day wasn't that long ago, but it has still changed so much. Like when I was a kid and a teenager, there was hardly any LGBT character at all. And if they did exist, they were like a white gay man, you know? So there was a very limited representation before. And one of the really fast changing things about our society is that as we learn more about the world and as we become more supportive of each other, you know, it becomes easier to tell these stories. And I think, you know, representation is an, is so important and that's what comes from people being, you know, in the spotlight. And similar to how I said, like, you know, a teacher can set an example, this actor can set an example and they can be the person that says, did you know that you can actually identify yourself in a way that's different, identify yourself in a way that fits? You don't have to try to put yourself in either of these two boxes. So I think that's so important, especially for young people and especially for young people who may not know anybody that is either, you know, LGBTQ or that is supportive of LGBTQ people. Because unfortunately, so many of us go through a phase of feeling lonely because you don't know um, that what you're feeling, you know, isn't not normal. It's just a different experience. And it's one that other people experience. So yeah, representation is so exciting for me. And I get excited, you know, with sports when there's conversations about it. And 
you know, it, it really is something that has changed so much even in my lifetime, but it's not the, it's not going to fix everything the same way that saying, you know, I have a black friend or I have a transgender friend is going to fix anything. So for me, it's, it's always thinking, okay, this is the first step, right? You're now, now you know something new and now you have more information about the world than you did a few minutes ago. What's next for you? So I think a lot of times celebrities and actors and, and artists can feel really good about just being representation, right? About just being out and about in the world, but that's not the last thing that we need to do. There has to be representation across other identity lines, right? Like we need to make sure that our kids are meeting black and brown non-binary people and trans people been kind of told by students and had conversations with students where talking about different identities is like, well, oh, that's for white people. It's like, yeah, you know, it might, you might think that because you only see white people doing it. But it's all about like who has been given a voice traditionally and like who has had the opportunity to be representation as well. So, you know, the fact that this actor is identifying openly as non-binary and playing non-binary characters is really cool. But now it's about how can this actor and others like them allow people who didn't have the spotlight before to also step up and share the spotlight? Or how that how can we make sure that not only are we giving this one person roles of non-binary characters, but how are we making sure that TV shows in general across the board have more characters that are LGBT um, and especially LGBTQ people of color, because that is really, really rare, even though you know, obviously we all know people who are LGBT and people of color, but unfortunately, you know, racism finds friends and sexism and homophobia and all of those negative forces can work together. So, you know, representation is one step in the right direction and then it's up to us to push a little bit further. And I think too, that TV truth has kind of, quote unquote, truth has changed because like you were saying, in, <laughs> back in my day, um, <laughs> The, uh, the queer character was always dressed in pink and very flamboyant and, you know, they were just, they, their hands were all over the place. But now you see LGBTQ characters as, in, as doctors and lawyers and straightforward, well-intellected, educated people and not the, you know, uh, the person running, decorating right. the house or, you know. Right, right. Um, it's just, uh, is definitely changing as same, you know, whereas in back in, in old TV times, it was the black people, the black person was always the criminal or the drug mm -hmm. dealer, or, you know, mm -hmm. now they are represented as the, the lead cop or the lead detective or the lead lawyer. So mm -hmm. that representation is slowly changing, but it's definitely a, uh, changing in a good way, at least in some cases. Mm -hmm. And some, and some of the representation that has changed the most, and I think, is the most powerful is the way books have changed. Like I was always a really big reader, even as a kid and in high school, but I did not, I don't think, I remember when I was in middle school, I read one book that was about gay characters and my friends and I were all obsessed with it because it was the one book we had ever found that had LGBT characters. And I think after that, I probably didn't read another book by a queer person or about a queer person, maybe until college. So it, you know, for me, seeing that young adult books have changed so much as well, and that there's more of them and more diverse uh, voices, you know, there's lots of really awesome books about LGBT people and LGBT people of color. 
Um, and these books are coming out all the time. I can't even keep up with it. So, you know, if anyone's been in my classroom and has seen the library, um, you know, they know that I'm very obsessed with acquiring the books and providing the books for everybody. But I think, you know, as important and as far reaching as TV is, uh, for me, books are even better, you know, because that kid who feels lonely and, you know, needs a friend or needs understanding, we can't always promise they'll find that in a person, but a book can almost be like that friend or a book can almost feel like support, even though it's not perfect. Um, you know, to me, that's really amazing that authors are telling these diverse stories and telling their own stories in a lot of ways too, where authors now feel empowered to talk about their own identities in ways that they might not have before. Awesome. Um, so one of the, me the big things behind this podcast is making you the eye and tiger. So the question that I'd like to close the show with is, who is Maddie Lubert? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, my first instinct and the thing I usually tell people about me as soon as I can when I meet them is Maddie Lubert is a teacher. Um, and that probably sounds really nerdy and some of y'all are probably like, oh, that, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but for me, I think that is the thing about myself that gives me a purpose. And it's the thing about myself that I can, I know that by being a teacher, I'm trying really hard to make a difference. And I, I can be impactful because I get to work with amazing young people every day and I get to work with other teachers every day. But, you know, so for me, it's almost always Maddie Luber is a teacher. Another thing I always like to tell people is that I'm from Philadelphia. So maybe I would say Maddie is a teacher from Philadelphia. I've lived here my whole life and I like to shout that out because as much as I love folks who are not from Philadelphia, who now live here or work here, I'm really proud of the fact that I've been here my whole life and that my family you know, has been here as well. So I would probably say Maddie Lubert is a teacher from Philadelphia. <laughs> Great answer. Thank you for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. As always, we're here to support you and the things that you're behind. And you are really such a driving force at KHSA. And thank you for all you do for our students and for our school and for the community. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. It was great talking to you. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. You've been listening to KHSA Pause, Stop and Think, the podcast that puts you as the eye in tiger. I'm your host, Frank Penzerone. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.